The Courageous Coaching Podcast is hosted by Sophia Antoine, a certified life coach supporting women in their efforts to improve their self-esteem. Today, we're talking about life, relationships, and everything in between. Take it away, Sophia. Welcome to another episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. My name is Sophia Antoine. I am a life and relationship coach. With me today, I have the awesome, magnificent, stupendous Sherry Thompson. She is a social worker turned entrepreneur, and she has contributed to the anthology, The Smell of Poverty by Shannon Griffin. And you guys are familiar with Shannon by now because she has been on, what is it, three or four episodes strong by now? So you yes. guys are familiar with Shannon. So Shannon, thank you so much for lending Sherry to me today. Yes, thank you so much for having Sherry. <laughs> you too, you too. I mean, I'm always glad to have you. You're awesome and you're amazing. But Sherry, you're the new kid on the block today. So go ahead and introduce yourself because I'm sure I didn't do you any justice by that little title that I just gave. <laughs> so my name is Sherry Thompson and um, I was drawn to Shannon because she was going live talking about poverty and you know it's a part of my history too and um, as she was introducing this project and talking about the smell of poverty and being a social worker um, that really drew my attention because there's you know we don't talk about poverty very much and um, it's super important there are so many people who are affected by it and especially um, women and children and so um, that really spoke to my heart because I was I was that single mom once upon a time um, and you know struggled in poverty to get an education and then became an educator um, and I guess I'm skipping a little bit, but I got a bachelor's degree in social work. I went to work at a community college and then had an opportunity to advance my uh, career by getting more education and uh, did so. I became a counselor and um, loved doing that. I especially loved working with um, single moms who were, you know, coming back to school to find a little hope in their life and, um, then about two years ago, I decided that, um, you know, school kind of sometimes is a slow option for people. You know, not everybody has that time to, um, especially with the welfare laws. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't talk about um, in the book really is the welfare reform and how that's impacted women's ability to get an education. So, you know, if um, anybody who might be familiar with the welfare reform, you know, when you talk about giving somebody 24 months to get their life together, when their life is in shambles, um, you know, that really, it's not much time. And when you talk about a woman uh, working 35 hours a week, and then um, going to school on top of that, it's just not realistic. Um, and so that's kind of some of the challenges that I've seen. Um, women trying to go to school struggle with and um, the reason I decided entrepreneurship might be a better way for me to support um, women who are you know trying to provide for their children and trying to get out of poverty so um, poverty is definitely a conversation that we need to be having and that's why I'm excited to be a part of the book and and I'm so thankful that um, I met Shannon and you know, it was her going live all the time and talking about the smell of poverty. I'm like, now, wait a minute. Who is this woman and, and why is she talking 
talking about this? This is awesome. And what does she mean? And um, so I'm glad she started the conversation. And I'm glad, Miss um, Sophia, that you decided to support that conversation through your interviews of the authors. We really appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you because honestly, I knew it was a problem. Just like everybody knows it's a problem, but yeah. you just don't know what to do. So you do nothing. It's kind of like analysis paralysis. You do nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. Same with you. I mean, when, listen, Shannon and I, and I go back and Shannon goes live about every single thing. All the time. <laughs> but for whatever reason, this is what caught my ear. And this is what caused me to act. And this is what offered, made me offer my platform. So thank you so much, Shannon, because you have brought to the forefront something that we all kind of sweep under the rug. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you feel knowing that? Um, you know, and again, thank you uh, for having me and, and Sherry here, but I think it's it's definitely refreshing, if, if you will, if you can think about that. It's refreshing because it's one of those things everybody has there and it's sitting there and it's kind of like that pile of stuff you got sitting over there in the corner and you know it needs to come out. And when someone brings it out and brings it up to the forefront, it just makes it so that it relieves a lot of the the stress and pressure that you have on yourself. Right. It's, it's like hiding it, um, like hoarders. I can, it brings me to the mindset of that right. show, hoarders. They have all of this stuff in the house behind closed doors, and then somebody sees it, and it's like it's a combination of relief and fear because now that they've seen it, I have to do something about it. But what can I do about it? Because I don't want more people to see it. So right. that's awesome. Sherry, you really touched me because not until you just said that did I realize that when I was a single mom in school, let's backtrack. I had my first child when I was, how old was I? I, I got pregnant at 14, had my first child at 15. Wow. Oh, yeah. So I graduated high school on time and everything, but I kind of delayed going to college. And I recently got actually two degrees in the last two years. But you're right that that welfare system doesn't accommodate a working parent. It doesn't, it didn't give me a lot, even though I did, I hadn't, I wasn't on the monetary assistance. So I guess I didn't have that 24 month time frame, but mm -hmm. I still had the food assistance. I still had to, you know, give them my paycheck stubs and I still had to do all of these other things and abide by their rules. And it made it difficult for me in the jobs that I could have, because it seems to me that you, they give you this amount of money that you can make or you make too much money to get assistance. Right, right. And it's like, um, you guys say I'm making all this money, but I don't see it because I'm paying bills with it. So is it really mine? I mean, is that what you saw when you were doing social work? And, I, and Shannon, if you wouldn't mind after Sherry answers, if you could chime in too, because I know you do social work as well. So what is it you guys see when people really want to do stuff and they really want to make their lives better and better for their children. And the system kind of handicaps them, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, I want to back up just a little bit with, with my story because, um, you know, I was a single mom going to school. Um, I was 30 when I decided to get back to school. I was not, like, education wasn't important in my family. What was important was working hard. But you can't work hard at a low wage job and get ahead, you know.
and still not make enough money to get ahead. So, um, you know, with, with my particular story, when I decided to go back to school, and it, it definitely was a struggle, um, but I, I just decided I couldn't get ahead any other way, so I started back to school, and so I found the jobs program, and this was, you know, I'm trying to think how many years ago. Well, my youngest son is 30, and he was two then, so, um, you know, child care assistance I had, um, transportation assistance I found after I ran out of gas um, on the way home. Um, yeah, I mean, those kinds of things where you're digging through the couch looking for change to go to school, that was a very real thing for me. Right. Um, and ran out, of, ran out of gas on the way home. I had about a 45-minute commute um, from school to my home, and um, I live in western North Carolina, so um, you know, that's part of the reason I wanted to tell the story because we think about poverty in the inner cities, um, you know, but we don't realize that there are whole pockets of people out in rural areas that we, we don't e aren't even in the conversation. Um, so that's why I wanted to be a part of that conversation. But anyhow, you know, you run out of gas on the way home and as a stranger, like I had to get in the car with a man that I did not know. Um, and luckily he did take me to the gas station and when I got there and I had two dollars worth of change um, to buy gas he filled the tank up the rest of the way you know so that I would have enough gas to get home on fumes so those are the kinds of things that happen to people trying to be in school and I you know after that experience I shared that with someone and they told me about the jobs program which helped me with mileage which was huge like that was a deal break I mean a deal maker for me you know that suddenly I had gas <laughs> and I didn't have to dig through the couch anymore um, and so now those programs are not in place that same way you know as welfare reform came through no longer could people have a long-range plan you know my my idea of becoming a social worker was so that I could help people in need um, and share my experience in a positive way and so you think about now women can't have a long plan you know that was considered a long plan because it was four years um, and you know now women have to have like a plan that's short so they can be a CNA um, they can you know CNA that's challenging work and you're still not going to make a significant amount of money but they have to choose something very short term um, and although being a daycare worker a CNA all of those are honorable things to be doing they're not, they're not really money income producing. It puts them in that um, working poor class where you never build wealth, um, you never own a house, you never get ahead. So um, those are kind of some of my concerns for uh, people going back to school now, people living in poverty. And um, I can't tell you how many times I have been in a restaurant because I am um, – you know, young people, college age, it's just kind of my people, you know, so, so if I'm in a restaurant and um, we have a waitress, I'll, I'll ask them about, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you want to do after this? And you always find out that they are working at night, their child's at home, their child may be with grandma, uh, but this waitress is working until two o'clock in the morning 
you know, so how can we expect that mama to be involved with homework, school activities, you know, I mean, we're, if we just keep putting people in the service related industry, um, they might make a living, but they're not making a life. And um, so that's kind of my concern is you think about those kids who are not getting to play in sports because mama's working. Um, they're not able to have help with their homework. Um, their mom is setting this example of being gone. Um, and meanwhile, if the child's acting out at school, um, you know, then um, the school system has something to deal with too. So all of that impacts our society. Awesome. And it seems like it's just perpetuating a cycle. Absolutely. So Shannon, is, is that what you see as well in, in your area? I know you're out in California. Yeah. And, and I would, would agree with that, the whole 24-month thing. And, and time has come along uh, that things are changing and they're trying to go back. Now legislation has passed where they uh, have moved to where parents don't have to report any changes necessarily for two years. So now they're giving them two years to be on a program. They don't necessarily have to tell if they change income or anything to that degree. And if they do make any changes, now they have it so that if I come in and I have a, what's called a family fee, so if I have to contribute some costs to uh, the care, I could still continue to get more services in hours, but they will not increase the family fee, even if I'm making more money. So it's kind of at a point of enrollment, whatever it is that you're doing, that's all they're going to do. They're not going to look at anything, change anything. They will give you more hours. So it's to the benefit of the parents. So, but I, I feel the same way. It's not enough time. We have families that come in and they have multiple children and trying to be here and there and going to this provider and that provider trying to get there, their own public transportation. And it's a little, it's really, really difficult to be able to do things. So we have it to the point when they come in the door, they filling out the paperwork and sitting there is very time consuming and very difficult for them to do. So I, I definitely agree with that. It's just no way and it's harder for them, even though we think that it's a program to help, but it's really kind of breaking kids and families apart in the sense of they, there's no time. There's no time to put that quality of care uh, for the children when you have to have these requirements that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so Sherry, mm -hmm. at what point, or what was the breaking point where you said, I'm no longer going to be um, a slave to this system. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur so I can help eradicate poverty, so to speak, that way. What was what was the light bulb that came on? What did you see? What did you feel? What was it that made you just want to say, I'm going to do something different? So this is kind of wild. Um, I, you know, I kept wanting to um, have a little more say in what was happening in, in our college. And so I went into a doctoral program and I started um, studying welfare system where it bridges with higher education. And so as I'm, as I'm doing this research and, and I'm working on that project, none of my professors really 
understood what I was talking about because this was under their radar. Um, so that was always interesting. And I would come back to the college and I would try to have conversations um, with people about what was happening and what I was learning. And um, it just wasn't a conversation that people really wanted to have, even though in some ways our college um was a very caring place you know i mean i don't i don't want to make it sound like they weren't it just was from this place of really not understanding meanwhile um i had started a little side project with you know being an entrepreneur working on the side um just to make a little extra money and i had a good time with that and i kept seeing the owners of my company doing things to help people in poverty and moving at a very fast pace but anything that you try to do legislation wise that you try to do um, in higher education that moves really slow um, you know and I think the more that I understood about leadership in higher education the less I felt like I had a voice or that I could make a difference um, and that's not downing anybody you know, that I was employed with because I feel like people do as well as they know to do. Um, it's just there's so much information and we have so much misinformation in our society in general. You know, we're, um, it's so easy to scapegoat people who are in poverty. It's so easy to say, well, why don't they just get a job? Right. You know, why are they on food stamps? Why don't they just get a job? When the truth is, um, and Shannon probably knows the numbers. I don't know the numbers, um, but the mass, you know, the majority of people getting assistance do have jobs. You know, they're the working poor um, and they do have jobs. So it's just their jobs don't pay well enough. Um, and it's become a political, um, you know, just a political, I'm trying to think of the right words. Um, Any words are the right words. <laughs> just say it girl this is a culture so any words are the right words it's it's just understand um it's just so easy to yeah. stereotype people right and um blame victims rather than us having conversations that are meaningful and helpful yeah. um right. and you know it goes all the way back to the time that i was on welfare and i was hearing on tv about the welfare queens in um you know in the big limousines yeah. and i kept going hey where's my limousine i haven't seen a limousine my kids and i are up here in this little 24 by 24 shacks trying, right. trying to stay warm you know that was our reality living in a little bitty uninsulated house that you know the whole house is about the size of a person's living room and um you know freezing to death in the mountains but yet on tv i was hearing about these welfare queens somewhere right. and um I forgot yeah. about them <laughs> yeah when they had the big mansions and everything else and they were still i forgot about them mm -hmm. wow. I know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and during that time, uh, people who got food stamps, they were actually stamps, you know? Yes, the paper where you tore out of the little book. Yeah, you pull them out of the little books. They're like little coupon-looking things. Mm -hmm. And um, you would go to the grocery store, and the cashier would pull them out. Right. 
one, five, you know, count yeah. them up on top of the register so everybody in the line could see what was happening. Exactly. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> so I would end up going at 10.30 at night with my little bitty children, going to the grocery store because I was so embarrassed to be receiving food stamps. I had a job. I was a college student. I was by myself. I worked probably 20 hours a day between school and, you know, I mean, really, like I was giving this my all. Um, but that was the attitude then um, mm-hmm. because of the welfare queen discussion. That was 20, almost 30 years ago, I guess. And it's not gotten better. It's gotten worse. Um, You know, so um, I was one of the first welfare to work case managers when I graduated from social work. Um, I was one of the first welfare to work case managers and I was out of school and I was going to save the world. Um, Yeah, Shannon, did you feel like that when you were? Oh, yeah. (laughs) let me go save the children you know um Mm -hmm. but anyhow what I learned with the welfare to work case manager you know in that role was I heard those discussions from DSS about this is the bottom of the barrel these are the people who can't make it and we're sending them to you now to fix well I once taught a class and there were 10 people that were in that bottom of the barrel class nine out of 10 people in that room talked about childhood sexual abuse. Um, and it really like, you just realize that people end up sometimes in that kind of, I can't make it in the world because something else has happened and you can't fix those kinds of situations. That kind of, um, you know, that kind of mentality, that kind of, um, lack of self-confidence, all those things, you can't fix that overnight. So again, 24 months is not very long to put your life together when you've had, you know, been abused um, and those kinds of things. That's just one example of something I saw, um, you know, during my time as a social worker. So now as an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. how are you empowering women? Or do you work with just women or who do you work with now? Oh, I work with anybody that wants to build a business. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So how do you empower them? What do you, what tools do you give? And feel free to promote yourself or whatever it is you do. So if you have a link, give your link. So feel free to do that because I want people to be able to reach you if they're interested because you have such a caring attitude towards people. I want them to be able to reach you. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. So um, for one thing, the company that has the products that we promote, it's free to be a part of that. So that's one of the things that I loved about it was people could start for free. There's not really any businesses that you can start without an investment. Mm -hmm. So I love that about it. I loved the fact that people could earn a car in a very short period of time. And I kept thinking, because in my experience in this book, um, I talk about having a car with a hole in the floorboard so big that one of my kids could fall through. And that's, that's what I started driving to school. So um, being able to help people learn cars, um, you know, when you can take that major bill out of the way for people, I felt like that was really important. And so um, the company that um, I represent is called Lavelle and it's just a set up in a way that helps people. And so um, I, 
started using the products. I loved them. I loved what it did for me. And I realized, hey, people can join for free. Uh, people can earn money from home in, you know, a very easy way. And I can use my counseling skills, my caring of people skills to um, just, you know, help people earn a little extra money on the side or if they want to build a business, you know, that's bigger than that to do that. So that's how I, um, you know, kind of how I got started. And I've just started a little uh, blog spot called Sharon Thrive, or yeah, SharonThrive.com. So people can go there. They can sign up um, to get like updates as I update the blog and kind of get into this author side, writing side of things that I have not been in. Um, about a year ago, Sophia, this is pretty wild. I went to a women's uh, conference where there were about 30 women, I guess, and it was a pretty spiritual meeting with a lot of prayer and a lot of people sharing, you know, different stuck places they were in that their life and that kind of thing. And I was a vendor there sharing, you know, promoting our products. And so there was a minister um, that spoke and she had all of us share a little bit of our stories. And I shared a little bit of mine and she said, you don't look like your story. You need to be sharing your story. <laughs> and so um, then I guess that's how God just brought this all together when I started seeing Shannon go live about poverty. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm hearing you. This book, I just need to, I need to start getting my story out there. So um, I feel like God brought this all together so that the authors can be having that conversation um, so that hopefully we'll inspire some people to know that they can uh, escape poverty and there is hope um, and it might take a minute to get out of it but there are other people who have and um, I mean it just sounds like in your story as well Sophia you know that you've um, been able to feather your skills and um, you know have have a platform where you're um, able to earn a living and that kind of thing. So in this digital age, um, I just feel like it's something that we can, we can all do and help and be a part of. Um, and as we grow skills, I've learned a lot from Shannon, um, as we grow skills and we help and support each other, use these different tools that are available, we can definitely um, make a difference. So absolutely and and that's part of what um caused me to do what i do because i didn't think of becoming a life coach before but just naming my business courageous coaching because it takes courage to get out there and and tell your story it, get, it takes courage to just put yourself at the forefront because no matter what you do you're going to be ridiculed for it by someone even if they just right. random off the street they're going to talk about you so if they're going to talk about you there's going to be some other people who are the story's going to resonate with and you're going to uplift them. So I thank you both for being so courageous in telling your stories because it's not easy, but to be unfortunately cliche, it is definitely worth it. So I thank you both for being here, just giving me your time, sharing your stories. And Shannon, as always, I appreciate you. Yes, you yeah. are Miss I Go Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything. So I know we've said it before, but tell the people where they can reach you. Oh, me? Oh, well, you can reach me um, at Four Humanities, uh, Shannon Griffin on um, 
Facebook as well, but uh, and LinkedIn, and it's for humanities, and that's the number four H U M A N I T E E S, like for T's. So you can reach me there. And yes, um, Miss, I go live. <laughs> I go live. So again, I thank you both, Sherry. You've been amazing. I mean, every time I have an author on from this anthology, I tell you, you know, like I learned something new. I remember something that was. Um, I guess I pushed to the back of my mind, but I thank you all because my story is coming together because you are right. courageous enough to put your story out there. You're amazing. And you're both welcome back anytime. So feel free, block time on my calendar. If you don't have the link, I'll send it to you. Feel free, anytime right. you have something to talk about, come back and talk about it because I definitely want to hear it and I'll promote the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being courageous. As we are yeah. courageous together. That, right. That, that's the name. We just like the whole um, system, World Wide Web. We right. are connected. I'm in Florida. Shannon's in California. You're in North Carolina. We, we're countrywide right now, but somebody's right. going to hear this around the world. So exactly, it's it's a big web, and I'm just glad that I'm connected to you, ladies, because y'all are amazing. Man, thank you so much. My pleasure. You guys take care, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. Feel free to call in with comments and questions anytime. The number is 786-749-TLAK. That's 786-749-8255. Call us and let us know what is on your mind. Until we meet again, be courageous.